Amen. Thank you, Judy. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17. On Sunday nights, we're talking about the heart, and tonight we'll look at the deceitful heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 tonight. Next week, of course, is Resurrection Cantata, Saturday night, Sunday. We have some flyers left, please, at each entrance. Please take those. They're no good after next Sunday. We want to get as many of those out as we can. I, uh, Brother Andre was telling me that he and his daughter went out this afternoon and they met somebody who committed to coming. That's wonderful. See if you can get a commitment from somebody. If everybody got a commitment from one person to come, we'd fill the house. And that'd be wonderful on Saturday night. So please invite people to come. Looking forward to a great weekend. Now, because of that, the preaching schedule will likely change next weekend just a little bit. Because of the resurrection cantata, the message will be tailored around the cantata. And so Sunday night, we will look at the portraits of Christ rather than the heart. And we'll do John chapter 20 because it's about the resurrection. We don't want to miss that chapter. We don't want to skip that chapter. We've gone through the whole book of John. We don't want to leave one chapter undone. So next Sunday night, uh, the whole day will be about the resurrection of Christ. We'll have a wonderful day in the house of the Lord. All right. So next Sunday night also, we're going to do something a little different. Um, We're not going to have a regular scheduled service. We're going to have a time of testimonies and singing. All right. So we're just going to sing and give testimony and praise to God until we get tired, then we're going to preach and go home, all right? So come with a testimony, come with a favorite song or hymn, and we will sing it that night, and we're just going to have a good time together, enjoying all the music and the testimonies, all right? Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, read there in verse 9, just the two verses, 9 and 10 tonight, then we'll back up. The Bible says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Let's pray. Father, I need your help, as each one of us do. We need your Holy Spirit. And so tonight we ask that as we humble ourselves before you, that you would fill each one of us. Fill me as I preach. Fill those who receive the word. Help us, Lord, as we examine the heart each week. As we pick apart the topic of the heart, we pray, Lord, tonight we'd focus on the deceitful heart. The heart is deceitful above all things. And Father, help us, Lord, to understand. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting, as we consider this topic of the heart... The Bible says this about the heart, the heart is deceitful, but note that next phrase, above all things. Isn't that that a sad commentary on the state of man? To think about it, when we think about your heart, if we were to go around the room and to give compliment or criticism to people tonight, we might say, well, you know, Brother McPherson has a tender heart. But you know, Brother McPherson, unfortunately, the Bible says you don't have a tender heart above all things. We have a deceitful heart above all things. And that's something. People are characterized often by their kindness, a kind heart, a compassionate heart, a loving heart. But the Bible says that is not the most outstanding characteristic of our heart. Our heart is deceitful. When I get thinking about that deceit, I have to think that we deceive ourselves. The heart, the seat of the emotion, the seat of the passions has deceived us into thinking some things tonight that just maybe aren't helpful. 
That word deceitful, I looked it up so I could have a good definition of it. The word deceitful means sly, insidious, slippery. Think about that. The same word is also translated in other parts of the King James Bible as crooked and polluted. Now, I went a little further and I looked up that word insidious. If, if deceitful is sly, insidious, and slippery, what does insidious mean? The word insidious in the Oxford Dictionary means this, causing harm in a way that is gradual or not easily noticed. It is harmful but enticing. If I were to take that definition of the word insidious or the word deceitful, I would say that's the very definition of who Satan is. He puts just a touch of poison in and he draws us away very carefully and slowly so that we don't even notice the erosion anymore. Somebody said this, and I think it's a great illustration. You're okay as long as the boat is in the water, but once water gets in the boat, you're in a lot of trouble. And friends, as we apply that to our lives and to the church, we're okay as long as the church or our lives are in the world, but once the world gets in, we're in trouble. And we must be very careful. But the problem is, is we try to plug the slow leaks. We don't concern ourselves with the small drips. We just noticed, uh, I haven't even told Frank yet, but Frank's going to be working with me tomorrow probably. Brendan's little car has just a small little drip of an antifreeze leak just a week ago. And we were doing some work and my wife said that morning, she says, I smell antifreeze. And I said, yeah, there must be, we'd already, he'd already rebuilt the engine so it wasn't leaking there. And I said, I can't imagine the engine's leaking. Frank just put all new seals in for us. And, and so we got looking at it and uh, we opened the hood to do something else. And Frank said, oh, we got a little bit of an antifreeze leak. Just a little drip. Frank, that thing's just pouring out now. We can't keep it in there. And so when you leave things like that unnoticed, they get worse, don't they? Eventually they grow. Have you ever had a dripping tap? How many of you leave those dripping taps for just a little bit too long? Now, how many of you have gone in at night and you have to put a towel or something under it because that little keeps you awake all night? It's almost better to open it a little bit so it runs on a steady stream, but after a while, you know that drip... It turns into something bigger, doesn't it? That's what the word insidious means. That's what the word deceitful means. That it will cause harm, but it'll erode in such a way that it doesn't seem harmful. The Bible says the heart is deceitful like that. We justify some things in our thinking to say, well, that's not so bad. And eventually it becomes the norm. The author, Jeremiah, adds this tagline to his verse in verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Wow, he doesn't paint a very good picture of the condition of man, does he? Friends, I want to tell you, hang on, there's hope. God is good. I, I thank for that song, Marvelous Grace of Our Loving Lord. What a wonderful thing to know that God is still in the saving business and he's still in the restoration business. I want you to notice, and I'm big on context as you know. Let's go back to verse one and get the context of this chapter. How is the heart deceived? The heart is deceitful. It'll fool your mind into thinking that some things are okay. How is it deceitful? The first deception is this we develop a tolerance for sin. When we develop a tolerance for sin. It says so right in the Bible. Look at verse one. The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron 
and with the point of a diamond, it is graven upon the table of their heart and upon the horns of your altars. Verse 1 tells us, first of all, if you're taking notes, there's a permanence to sin. Look what it says. How is sin engraved upon the fleshly tablets of our heart? The Bible says with a pen of iron and the point of a diamond. You know, a diamond is one of the hardest substances in the world. I know that when sometimes we are uh, having to cut steel or something like that, a friend of mine, Hamilton's a welder, and I've been down there working on my car and helping him a little bit at times, and he has these blades that have diamonds in them, diamond bits. How many of you have ever used a blade like that to cut through something very hard? You have to get those diamond, and they're very expensive, as you can imagine. And it's just a dusting of diamonds, but the diamond is so hard that it can cut through steel. The Bible says that is the kind of thing that inscribes the sin of Judah and it was written with a pen of iron and with the point of a diamond upon the table of their heart. This speaks of a permanence to sin. Now, notice tonight that 1 John chapter 1 is in verse 9 is true. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse our hearts or cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 17 is still true. Their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. We have the promise of God from God's perspective that he will wash away our sins. We are covered in the blood. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He will remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. He'll bury them in the depths of the deepest sea. We don't have to worry about them anymore. He will remember them no more. But friends, let me tell you this. They are written on your heart in such a way that there's always a scar and there's always consequence for sin. Sometimes we sin and we say, well, you know what? It's really not that bad and it's just a little white lie and we justify our sin by soft-soaping the situation and sugarcoating the pill. But friends, let me tell you this, there is a consequence for sin. Be sure your sin will find you out. The heart has been deceived into thinking that sin is no big deal. We say, well, we can be forgiven of our sin, yes, but we still face the consequences. The first deception is a tolerance for sin. First of all, there's a permanence for sin. I want you to know, secondly, there's a passing down of sin. Look at verse two. Whilst their children remember their altars and their groves by the green trees upon the high hills. In verse one, we see that they were worshiping in hypocrisy. The Bible says the sins of Judah were written upon their heart with a pen of iron and a tip of diamond, but also upon the horns of their altars. And in verse 2 says their children notice as they go to these altars and worship in their sin. That kind of behavior is passed down. We have to understand that there's an influence upon our children when they see our sin. There's a consequence. No man's an island. And when we sin, it doesn't just affect us, it affects our children and our children's children. We must be very careful when we get involved in sin. But the deception is, is we've developed a tolerance for sin. Look at the third thing in verse three. There's a pride about sin today. Way back in the days of Jeremiah, it says, oh, my mountain in the field, I will give thy substance and all thy treasures to the spoil and thy high places for sin. Throughout all the borders. Do you know what the high places were for? They were for worship. It's so that 
the children could see the fathers go up on those high places and burnt offerings and give worship to Almighty God. But the Bible says instead, here's what we're going to do in our pride. We're going to take all those high places and make them for sin. We're not ashamed of our sin. Oh, what a day we live in. 50 years ago, things that people were ashamed of, they're having parades about today. Somebody say amen. Isn't that true? Our sin is no longer in secret. It's up in the high places where all the world can see. This, listen, this is what the heart is deceived about. There's a deception today. How many, how many people today that call themselves Christians support that nonsense? I couldn't believe, you know, the last presidential election uh, eight years ago when President Obama was first elected. And of course, we're not American. We don't hold to that too closely, but it does affect us in a great way. And President, I was visiting a, a lady the next day, uh, uh, Diane Broach. And Diane had been suffering with cancer. And so I went over to visit her and we were talking and, and she said, did you see the election last night? Wasn't that wonderful? And I said, Diane, do you know that he's pro-abortion? She says, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. She says, the reason I thought he was okay, and, and listen to this, the reason I thought that his, his beliefs were okay was because on TV last night during the election, there were two Baptist churches that were screaming and jumping up and down because President Obama got elected. She says, I thought that he must be pro-life. I thought that he must be pro-traditional marriage. I thought he must be pro-Bible because these two Baptist churches were leaping up and down proclaiming that we got a new president. What a wonderful thing. Friends, that's the righteous being deceived. The heart is deceitful above all things. There's a pride about sin. There's no shame today. Rather, there's an expansion. Verse 4 teaches there's a propensity towards sin. Look what it says. And thou, even thyself, shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee. Now, some say that the Holy Bible is inspired, and I believe that, amen? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And so they're saying when Jeremiah wrote this, he is saying this is God speaking. God has given them a heritage. Others say, well, maybe Jeremiah is speaking in the first, third person. He's talking about himself that he had given them a heritage. Either way, friends, I believe either God or Jeremiah gave them a godly heritage. And look what it says about these people. And thou even thyself shalt discontinue from thine heritage that I gave thee. He says, I've given you a godly heritage, but you've not followed it. You've discontinued, read on. And I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever. There's a propensity towards sin. God gave Adam and Eve a choice, and what did they choose? Sin. God has given man a free will, and what have we chosen? Sin. God gave the tribe of Judah or the divided nation of Israel and the part that was called Judah in those days, he gave them a choice and they chose sin. The heart is deceitful and we develop a tolerance for sin. 
But I want you to see in the last part of verse four, there's a penalty for sin. There's a penalty for sin. I will cause thee to serve thine enemies in the land which thou knowest not. For ye have kindled a fire in mine anger which shall burn forever. Did that ever happen? Was Israel ever carried off into captivity to Babylon and Persia and different places? And there they served other kings that spoke in other tongues and bowed down to false gods all because of sin. And they did not follow the heritage of God. The first deception is this, a tolerance for sin. As we read on, we see the second deception, trusting in self. Trusting in self. The first deception is the tolerance of sin. The second deception is trusting in self. Look at verse five. It says, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm and whose heart departeth from the Lord. The first thing we see is a frightening declaration. The Bible says in verse five, thus saith the Lord, cursed be the man that trusteth the man. He's speaking about the man that says, I will trust in myself. I will trust in flesh. I will trust in man. We too have just come through some elections. How many people did we see on the national news who were praising the fact that Justin Trudeau will now save Canada? Oh my heavens. On the other hand, we say, whoa, we're, we're, we're just all going to hell and the nation is destroyed because Kathleen Wynne is the premier of Ontario. And she's morally reprobate. And she's leading our children with a curriculum that is morally reprobate. And we get angry and we have, listen, don't put your trust in man. God is still on the throne. The Bible said, cursed is the man that trusteth in flesh. We are not to put our trust in man. I don't know how the American election is going to turn out, but this I know, God is still on King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God is still on his throne. I don't know if Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or Ted Cruz will be president, but I know this, Jesus will still be king. I don't care if Justin Trudeau is our prime minister for the next 10, 10 years. Jesus is still king. What a frightening declaration to say, I will put my trust in self or in man. I want you to see, secondly, not only in this trusting in self, this deception, not only is there a frightening declaration, there's a failed dependence. The Bible says in verse five, that second phrase, cursed be the man that trusteth in man and maketh flesh his arm. Arm is a Bible word for strength. Making flesh his strength. How many of you have ever exhausted every personal resource before you went to God? Isn't that the pattern of man a lot of times? How many of you ever seen that commercial? Oh, I wish I had a V8. You ever, you ever felt like that? Oh, why didn't I pray? Why did I wait so long? You know, I, I, I've sat down and I've done the math and I've checked my bank account and I've stretched the dollar and I've, I've sold all my extra belongings and I've, and I've done everything I'm supposed to do and there's still not enough money to... And then you say, oh, why didn't I pray? Why didn't I ask the Lord for my daily bread? We, we, we trust in ourselves and, the, and we have this failed dependence on self. How long do we wait to pray? How often do we exhaust all of our resources before turning to God? Often we will, somebody will come and ask for help and we'll say, oh, I know a guy. Wouldn't you be better off saying, I know a God? A failed dependence. 
The third part of this deception of trusting in self is there's a frightening declaration, I will trust in man. A failed dependence, I'll make, uh, verse, verse five, I'll make flesh his arm. I look at the third thing, we see a foolish departure. Whose heart departeth from the Lord. Here's the problem with continued self-reliance. Here's the problem when you pin your hopes to man. Eventually, you'll just come to the point where you say, well, I guess this is the best we can expect. And you'll depart from God. When you trust in self and you trust in man and you trust in your own strength, the Bible says it is foolish, but yet he is the one that will depart from the Lord. Eventually, we become content with what we provide for ourselves. People take pride in that, don't they? I'm a self-made man. Everything I have, I've worked hard for. I'm, I'm thankful to say tonight, everything I have, I've been blessed with by God. God has supplied all my needs according to his riches and glory. God has been good. And I give thanks to him tonight. The second deception is trusting in self. The first deception is a tolerance for sin. And in the second deception of trusting in self, we see a frightening declaration of failed dependence and a foolish departure. But I want you to see tonight the most important thing, the desire. We've talked about the deceptions, but what is God's desire? His desire is turning to the Savior. Look at verse seven. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. The first thing we see is to rely upon the Lord. That's trust, to rely upon him. The Lord will never deceive you. Did you know that? Do you know the Bible says that God is not the author of confusion? He'll never deceive you. He'll never lead you astray. He'll never seek to confuse you. He'll never let you down. You can trust in him. Rely upon him. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord. And secondly, not only to rely upon the Lord, but to rest in the Lord. That's what the word hope means, that we just rest in God, I don't worry about it because God's going to take care of it. I'm not going to go out and worry about these things. I, I, I was telling Brother Baker last week, we uh, don't laugh at us, but while his wife went away and my wife was in Texas, he asked me out on a date. I don't know what that's all about. He really didn't, but it came across that way. He said Monday, he says, Pastor, I got this video. He says, it's about the shipwreck of Paul, and it's so interesting. He says, uh, he says how would you like to go have a dinner and a movie with me? And I said, wait a minute. That doesn't sound good. But we did. We had a hamburger, then we watched this video, and it was a wonderful thing, and very, very interesting. If you get a chance to see it, I'd encourage it. it it's really exciting to see the Bible come to life. And but we got talking that night but a whole lot of things doctrinally. We, we get together, we talk about the Bible, and we had a, a lot of, of fun of that. And we got talking about, you know, the, the different things that we need to trust the Lord in. And one of the things is I'm talking about my roof. I got to get a new roof on my house, and uh, I was hoping to wait a little bit longer, but now this spring there's shingles in my front yard, so I guess it's time. And so he just got a new roof, and I was talking about that, and he says, well, God blessed, and we were able to get a new roof. And man, I like hearing that. God blessed and we were able to get this new roof. There was a lady that we knew that she would never purchase anything that she needed. She says, because she says, if I need something and I just go out and buy it, she says, I find about two days later, the Lord always puts something better in front of me that I should have bought. 
that I should have waited for, that maybe he was gonna give to me. So see, I just quit buying things. She says, now, she says, Lord, I, she needed a walker for a while. She had a hip replacement. She was going to need a walker. And so she said, Lord, I, I need a walker. She says, you know I need a walker. I'm not asking for something I don't need, and I'm not trying to consume this on my own lust. I just, I just need a walker. And so she said, instead of going out and buying one, I prayed, and I waited right up until the surgery. And she said, wouldn't you know, somebody came by and said, uh, Mama Fran, I got this walker that I thought maybe you could use. She says, it was, it was about an $800 one. She said, it wasn't a $200 one like I was going to buy. She said, it was sturdy and strong and it had a seat that came down that when I got tired, I could rest. And she says, God just gave it to me. That's resting in the Lord. Our hope is in the Lord. There's a peace in turning to the Lord. Now, notice verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways. When we trust the Lord and we hope in the Lord, he says, I give to every man according to his ways. But by the way, it can't be a pretense because he's searching your heart and he's trying your reins. That's the inner parts of man. He knows what's going on. Don't don't just get up in front of the church. Well, I'm trusting the Lord for this. It can't be a pretense. It can't be phony. It has to be from the quietness of the heart. And God says, I will give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. God wants to take care of you. Now, as I looked up those words, trust and hope, the definitions of these particular words, every one, both of them, were followed by the words in confidence. We can rely upon the Lord. We can trust in the Lord in confidence. We can hope in the Lord in confidence. There's no reason to waver. He is God. And we can trust in him. This is God's desire. The deceptive heart, the deception of the heart. The first thing is that we will have a tolerance for sin. The second thing is we'll begin to trust in self. But God's desire is that we would turn to the Savior, to rely upon the Lord, to rest in the Lord. Now look at verse 11. Or verse 10, that we might relinquish control to the Lord. I, the Lord, search the heart. Give him control. Let him take care of you. Romans chapter 8 says, but the spirit itself searcheth the heart. He knows the inner doings of man. He prays on our behalf for we know not how we ought to pray but with groanings and utterings that we know not. He prays for us because he knows us. The Bible says the word of God in the Bible, is the scripture is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit to the thoughts and the intents of the heart. He knows all about us. Jesus is that living word. Relinquish control to him. That's the desire that we might turn to the Savior. Look at verse 13 in conclusion with me. O Lord, the hope of Israel. Now Jeremiah is praying for these people. He says, O Lord, the hope of Israel, all that forsake thee shall be ashamed. And they that depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. The earth is not the place I want to be written down. I want to be written down in the book of life. To be written in the earth means to miss the book of life. 
It means not to have my name recorded in the right place. Verse 14, heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Save me and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Yes, the heart is deceitful, but the Bible says God can heal it. There's hope in trusting in the Lord. The next time you have a tolerance for sin or you begin to trust in self, I want you to remember verse seven and eight. Here's God's desire that we turn to him. We have no strength within ourselves. Somebody said this, me plus God equals four. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You can go in your own strength and you can fight these battles on your own or you can trust in God. Don't be deceived. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Trust in the Lord. You see, here's what the conclusion of the matter is and here's what the scripture says to me tonight. The fact that the devil would have us deceived, the fact that we have a deceitful heart that would have us have a greater tolerance for sin and would have us trusting in self, all that has a single purpose of keeping us from turning to the Savior. They are diametrically opposed. Jesus says, trust in me. How many of you have ever opened up the book of Psalms and read the phrase, trust in the Lord? Blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. How many times does that appear in the Bible? The book of Psalms, almost every third verse says something about trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord. Over and over again. That's God's desire for you. Don't be deceived by your heart. Trust in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness. We thank you for your love. Help us, Lord, not to be deceived by a deceitful heart, but instead... Help us to be focused upon Jesus Christ and his plan for our life. Father, help us to seek out your face. There are times that we see even the greatest men in the Bible, David, a man after God's own heart, was deceived. Deceived into following after sin, chasing after Bathsheba, committing murder. And there were other times that he fell upon his face and trusted in God. Father, we go through these cycles Help us, Lord, to be a faithful people that will trust in you and to learn the blessings of God for following after thee with all of our heart. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand tonight. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the piano's gonna play. I'm not gonna say anything more. If God has spoke to your heart, would you spend some time in prayer with him?